0: Welcome to Female Inner Power, the podcast for women who don't want to choose between work success and life happiness. I'm your host, Nomi melkian leadership coach and courage catalyst. Each week, I will share a refreshingly honest conversation about how to trust your intuition, lead from female power in male-dominated spaces, and inspire you to be a more confident force for good in the world. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome to Female Inner Power. I am thrilled to bring you this conversation with my friend Celia Lube. We met in 2001 when we were both studying journalism at the University of the Arts London, which actually wasn't called that at the time, but that's a story for another day. And Celia and I had so many dinners together with a few other friends, Georgina and Frida. We were all hanging out a lot at Pizza Express for some reason that became the place we would meet. But this conversation is about Celia's journey. Celia didn't choose journalism, just like myself. She ended up in a different route and hers was retail and luxury retail specifically. She lived in London, later Dubai, then Kuwait. And about five years ago, she moved to New York and started a business. Having never lived in New York before, she started a business called Nova Octo, which She found that women like her worked hard and had disposable income, but would never think of spending thousands of a dress they knew that only wear once. That felt both economically, sustainably, socially irresponsible. And so Celia's consumption philosophy is invest in staples, rent for special occasions. Why buy a dress? You know you'll only wear once. I wouldn't buy a car for a weekend at rent one. She talks about setting up this business and... She doesn't sugarcoat anything. I really appreciate this conversation where she talks about both the excitement of starting a business, but also the tough sides, the impact on her mental health, how it was tricky to figure out to hire the right people, to figure out how to let go of them, bringing European standards of working benefits to the US and what that brought with it. And a very important conversation about the pressures that we put on ourselves as women. Celia says, I think that one of the things we do as women is when something goes wrong, we almost feel like it's a failure immediately. While men are allowed to fail and rest, men just file bankruptcy and start another business. Food for thought. Even if you've never thought of starting your own business and you haven't got any interest, particularly in retail, I think you'll really enjoy this conversation and find many, many valuable nuggets because Silisha shares so honestly about the ups and downs and the learning she's had along the way. So can't wait to share this conversation with you. So let's take a breath. And dive in
1: Celia welcome to the Female Inner Power Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been
0: looking forward to this conversation. There are so many stories, so many things to dive into. Before we do, just tell us where you're at. Where are you dialing in from
1: today? I'm in New York City on a rainy, rainy day with like my dog next to me in a hotel room because I'm in between apartments. I'm moving into my new apartment on Friday, so I've been hotel living for a couple of weeks. Wow.
0: I mean, you have, there's so many different things to talk about. And I, I just wonder because before I dive into how you even started a business in New York, the craziness of starting a business in New York without having a visa, without having lived there. I wonder if you can talk us through um, sort of the high level of how you grew up in Norway and how you ended up in New York. And I know a lot of different things happened in between that.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm Norwegian by by birth and nationality, and I lived there until I was 16. And then I moved to Denmark on my own, which is like crazy to think back that my parents allowed me. So I moved to Denmark, I was on the national team in equestrian, I was a dressage rider. So it was like easier to live in Denmark at the time. So I moved to Denmark, lived there for, I think, five, six years, I was training and I did like my high school there, but like a different version of high school, that kind of allowed me to also compete like professionally with the horses. Um, And then I went from there to London for university, a little bit like after everyone else, I think I started college when I was 20 uh and uh i mean where we met at that <laughs> at the same university the journalism there started working in fashion with armani in london that was like my first real grown-up job and after a few years there i actually moved to dubai for a job uh which was very random um stayed in dubai for a couple of years it was not my cup of tea it's changed a lot since then um but ended up in kuwait working for a for a big franchising company in kuwait So I guess Dubai was like a little stepping stone into a very odd random place for me maybe to end up, but ended up staying there for almost eight years. And then I got very into the industry that I'm now in while I lived there and had some, got some ideas of like what I thought needed to be done. I moved to New York to launch like a luxury evening rental business. Um, I'd never lived in New York, just wanted a big market wasn't like willing to go back to Europe, and yeah, that's five years ago. <laughs> wow, and I mean, so
0: neither of us ended up working in journalism. I think we oh. both straight away
1: looked look at think it through, like year one that that wasn't gonna happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, London College of Communication wasn't quite <laughs> yeah. Well, they did light our fire, I guess, in different ways, but not in terms of uh, the journalism. <laughs> um, the journalism pieces we'll have to compare notes on everything we learned at some point. Uh, but I was just thinking—I mean, it still confuses me. There you are, Scandinavian horse rider. Um, ending up in London and then I mean Dubai and Kuwait, Kuwait for eight years excuse my ignorance having never lived there what's it like for a blonde uh, tall Norwegian to live in Kuwait for eight years?
1: You know I had the best time there I think like of like the countries I lived in is where I like felt the most quote-unquote at home uh, I had, like, amazing friends, had a great job. I traveled a lot for work. Right? like Working in fashion, being a buyer, you know, you are constantly in major markets, like Paris, London, New York, Milan, which I think gives, like, that, you know, taste of life that you constantly have, like, your finger on the pulse of what's happening. Um, but I also worked in high-end fashion, and it was, like, it's one of the best markets for that. It was high spending power. I think Kuwaiti women compared to, like, I mean, every country is going to compete with each other, but they're very, very um, fashionable, like a little bit more edgy in their fashion. I think there's also this misconception in Kuwait that everyone is covered. They're not. Um, It's not like a lot of the other Gulf countries that most people wear, like a baya or a hijab. There it's like it's actually very, very fashion forward, especially by the younger generation. So I think uh, it's actually like a quite open-minded country. Like they were a little bit more advanced than the other countries. So for me, I actually preferred Kuwait to something like Dubai. that was very driven towards like expats coming there working for a certain amount of time.
0: So interesting how actually Kuwait felt most like home. What was it that made you feel at
1: home there? I think I had great friends. Um, I think... Uh, there is like a good quality of life um, again I think like your group of friends like I've studied in London so a lot of these people I knew from London you know were all they had like then moved back home so I think like the seeds were like already placed at that time um, but I think you know I think it's like such a focus on family life you know All my friends' parents, I know them. I go to their houses. You know, you're not out as much in public. You know, you tend to host a lot at home. And I think that's something I really, like, appreciated coming from, especially living in London and student life where all we did were going out and, you know, where you go to the pub or you socialize in a different way. And a lot of my friends were international, So you, you get to know each other, like, slightly more superficial level than if you, like, know someone's grandmother and go to their house for lunch every Friday, you know? It's a
0: totally different way to know someone to go into their family home and see I mean to see the grandmother also yeah you definitely know
1: yeah I really like I really appreciated their culture um and it's also like I think people are very educated and they travel a lot and you know there's certain things to enjoy when you're in Kuwait and then there's other things that is very nice with traveling when the months are really hot and but life there kind of allows for that which is nice
0: Hmm. I've got to ask maybe a prejudiced question or an ignorant question, but this being the Female in a Power podcast, um, how did you feel the male female dynamics in in Kuwait and and that you're saying that that's actually quite different in Kuwait compared to other Gulf countries? Was there anything that stirred you that you found difficult compared to having grown up in a scandinavian country or was it at all not at all like many of us will perceive it to be quite um yeah to be quite backwards in terms of women's rights
1: i think it's a combination you know i think there is definitely issues with women's rights and um i don't necessarily know if it's like my thing to talk on because i think I wasn't impacted by it and I think like a lot of my friends aren't impacted by it but I'm sure there are people who have like you know where they are things that we would disagree on in terms of laws and you know uh, freedom of like different treatment of boys and girls and all of these things they're there but they're there in many cultures you know I think you like I'm from Norway so it's very we I think we have like one of the most equalities of all All countries. Like I grew up like not knowing anything but a female prime minister. So you know representation matters. So for me it was like as long as I was a child we had a female prime minister and I thought that was like the norm. Um, But I will say in Kuwait when I lived like the entrepreneurship with people living there is extremely impressive. Like they are so good at starting businesses. Um, being very creative in ways to to monetize like hobbies and interests Um, I think women there are also very powerful let's say in the families Um, I think you might correct me if I'm wrong or someone will but it's I think Kuwait especially before the invasion there's a bit of a history lesson here but before the invasion like a lot of my friends mothers studied abroad by the way there was many there was beach clubs there was everything but as with many things that happen after iraq invaded it's with that comes religion comes fear comes extremism Uh, this is happening all over the world you know you put like that kind of thing into someone and then suddenly like extremists um extremists can take over a bit but i also think it can be culturally like when people find fear and other things they will turn to religion so i think there was a huge shift at that time in kuwait but did i feel it not really honestly i again i know dubai is different now i felt it more in dubai interesting you know that i felt it was very much like us and them while in kuwait i felt i was very like integrated to society like people taught me things so, you know i i learned very quickly how things work because they were they kind of are very welcoming and taking like people into their community and the time i lived in dubai that was not like that
0: Thank you for sharing that. I was just fascinated and just trying to imagine what it what it was like. Um, so you saw entrepreneurship there. You grew up and left home already at the age of 16. But I mean, still, how do you get the idea while well, you're in Kuwait? Hey, I'll just go to Manhattan. I don't have a visa. I don't necessarily have any, I don't have family or anyone close in New York. I'll just go there and start a luxury uh, clothing rental business because hey why not start, start a business in, in Manhattan I mean if I can make it in New York I can make it anywhere <laughs> what? You know? what gave it's you that just,
1: idea I, by the way learned is very true that whole thing if you can make it in New York you can make it anywhere but it's, <laughs> it's truly true but I do think like looking back I was a lot more equipped moving here when I said like I didn't have a visa but I had my attorney who was working on the visa. I knew what was required. It's not like they submit your visa application and hope for the best. Like, Their attorney is specializing. There's so many different visas in America. And my attorney does only my visa. That's all she does, people with my profession. you know. So you kind of get an idea very early on. You know you're going to get it. But of course, it's stressful when you still have to leave the country for three months while they're in the middle of launching a business while they process it. So I, I kind of had like done my background work um but I think like leaving like when I think back like I left home at 16 I moved to Dubai on my own during like a time that Dubai was not as easy as it is now and discovered a lot a lot of things very fast you know what I mean like I remember moving to Dubai being, being having an idea what the cost of living was but not having been told that you have to pay a year's rent up front you know stuff like stuff like I landed there and then you you, you figure it out you know you like it was constantly like a solution that had to be found but you know you kind of like look at what other people are doing okay this is how it operates or you know I know these things have changed now but back then it was like that it was also during like the you know the financial crisis that you know that we faced when we had graduated college around 2008 2009 which was a brutal brutal time So I think doing that, and then I moved to Kuwait, I remember just like getting my driving license was extremely hard. I don't speak the language, you need like someone to take you. It's, you know, the frustrations around figuring it out, being like, I've been there three months, I could not figure out my driving license. And eventually someone helped me and I I got it, you know. So I think like going through these things on my own, I remember moving to London. And it's like, a memory i still have from us being in class that first year is that i didn't really speak english that well yeah i'd had english in school but i really struggled to keep up in class like i was just like i was exhausted when i left class because it was hard for me to understand everything and we did journalism where we were not allowed to have like a typo <laughs> they what, what did they call it a fatal error if you had like a typo so you know i learned fast and I think that's like to have the mindset of being like, I'm going to figure this out. If you look at the whole picture prior, I think it's too overwhelming. So when I moved to New York, I was like, how hard can it be? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've done all of this. Like I'm moving to New York. I have an attorney financially. Like I, I got this sorted. Like, you know, I thought I had like a pretty solid plan, Um, but it's, you know, Launching your own business is something completely. I added like a whole new level of like, what can you say, like challenges to yeah. just moving to a new country? Because moving to a new country and continent in itself is tough.
0: Yeah, but you'd done that several times, and I just—I mean—you made us, I think, five years younger because I don't think we graduated in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, didn't it? Wasn't it two thousand and four? I'm pretty sure.
1: I, I left. I left to Kuwait in two thousand eight. Uh, okay. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it was a few years before that. Um, yeah. But so you'd moved countries several times. But at what point did you go like, okay, I want my own business. Like, I wanna, I wanna do this by myself.
1: I think I had my last couple of jobs. I was, to be very honest, I was tired of working for people who I didn't feel appreciated me. I felt there was like limitations to where I could. There was a lot of politics in my first company that I worked, which was a was a huge retailer in, in the Middle East, uh, or like a franchise holder. So much politics, like you could like, you could do anything you really wanted. And there was very little representation of someone like me making it like to the top, top. It was like, at that point felt like a retirement home for like old white English men who like moved to the Middle East to cash out, you know, and big jobs. And then not necessarily like I think the most qualified. And I remember I was always someone who took any, every job I had, like treating it like it was my own business. I was always very responsible around my work and it would be sometimes all consuming. Um, so I think I was, I started working for a smaller retailer and I was just exhausted working for people that I felt didn't want to move forward. Hired people like me who were supposed to at that point be very qualified, but they didn't want the advice. They didn't want to make changes. They still thought they knew the best way to do it. And um, I was like, I, I don't know. I was bored. I was literally bored. I was like, I think the only thing I can do is to launch something on my own that I will care about. I. I was also a little bit tired of fashion. It's like yes, I work in fashion, but I launched like a concept I believe in. I was tired of retail. I was tired of like buying four times a year, getting in the store, selling selling selling, put it on sale, get rid of it, you know, the cycle like doesn't change much in fashion. And I think I wanted like a bigger challenge at that time.
0: Mm. Tell us about the the concept. I love how you talk about you don't render um, rent a car for the weekend oh, so you don't buy a car for the weekend if you just need it you rent it tell us about yeah, it, how you think, the concept
1: I think so of course like I do very high-end evening with rentals my background in fashion is very high-end so I used to work in stores that people sell dresses for like twenty, thirty thousand thousand dollars we're like we're couture like big big labels but like we would really invest in like the expensive pieces and that's the other thing in the Middle East and in Kuwait the wedding industry is huge and the weddings are very very big and people truly dress up for them they dress up for occasions which is the part of this culture that I love like you know um, the appreciation of dressing up I really learned there I think and I also saw these pieces like that are true like pieces of art these evening dresses they're so well made and I think this whole idea of it like you can't really put it on sale this whole idea of these dresses being like temporary was like odd to me because we would buy this almost the same dresses every season but it was like now is the next season and I would see them just sitting in stock rooms because we're not allowed to put them on big markdowns the brands don't allow that you're still very directed by the brands to be like You know the way that they want their brands represented, but it was still like a tough time. Like people like never went back to luxury in the same way that they did, I think, in the early two thousands. And I was like, there must be a way that people can rent these dresses. Like I knew people who had the buying power to do it, but they were just like they would have twenty weddings a season. Like it doesn't make sense. And I could sense that people were changing in mentality, you know, before it was like the more you could buy and, you know, people would brag about what they owned. And I think minimalism and being aware of things like go somewhere, like they don't just vanish when you're done with them. And I think people are getting a lot more educated on it. And I think people also want to spend more on experiences instead of something they're going to wear once. And that's like where I was like, I always compare it to be like, you know you don't buy a house when you go on holiday like you you rent an Airbnb you take a hotel you know you you buy an experience for the time you're there the same with a car it's so many things that is acceptable to rent and I think luxury fashion was one of the last to kind of arrive
0: and like you also say on your website on on Nova Octo it's it's so much more sustainable I mean it,
1: just it is, you know, and there there are questions around and I like always like to be transparent around this on the sustainability issue. We truly are because we are seasonless. It's in our packaging It's how we're shipping. You know, in the city, we try to use couriers instead of, you know, we, we really try instead of like sending a GPS and using cars, we try to use bikes. So we kind of like do it all the way, like even our packaging is re- reusable you have the thing around dry cleaning. So you have to, when you run like the more um, mass market brands, I think there's still a lot of studies to be done on that. How, how many times you can wash a pair of jeans and still say that it's sustainable when you are selling it at the end of the season, you know, I don't know, but I think there, there's a lot, there's a little bit of, a lot of people say something is sustainable when it's not. For us, because of the type of pieces we buy, we have certain things that, you know, after a season, it might be worn out. It's like, you know, it's done. But we might have had like 50 different people wear that because we look after that one dress. We spend money on dry cleaners to do it the right way. Like we don't have the fast... For us, our turnaround time is longer than faster fashion. But it's like, at what cost? You know, we rather than maintain the piece... We have pieces that we launched with that is still in our collection. And they are like the most popular pieces. A lot of our vintage pieces, like we have them for five years. And they have literally been to like the hospital to be repaired. We have like (laughs) the lining and like the zipper or something so many times. But at this stage, it does become sustainable.
0: Yeah, uh, it makes me think of, um, I mean, I did meet my great grandmother, uh, but at that time she was in a nursing home, but she was a tailor and her husband was a tailor. It makes me think of, you know, the forgotten art of, of tailoring and really looking after your clothing pieces.
1: It is. And, you know, it's hard to find tailors. Even in New York, it's extremely hard to find good tailors. It's like a dying breed. And, you know, it's, it's so many jobs at the moment that it's hard to find for that it would pay so much money you know, like tailors are like six figure salaries because like, you know, you need good ones. You need people that are trained. And it's, it's like, it's, it's a real craft to that have. Mm-hmm.
0: Craft. Absolutely. So, um, so you decided, you came up with this idea. I, I keep having this image in my mind of the, what was it? The first sex in the city movie where, I can't remember what um, Sarah Jessica Parker's assistant is called in the movie where she talks about a
1: a rental bag. Do you remember that scene? I don't, but I like it. I I briefly (laughs) just, but rental banks were definitely ahead ahead of the curve when it came to renting.
0: Yeah, right, because I had never seen that. I just remember, you know, I didn't buy it. I rented, you know, a new bag. And, uh, <laughs> um, but so you have this idea and then you decide to just go to New York. You got a lawyer setting up a business and then it's a massive success. Or tell us more about what actually happened. I know you like to talk about that. You know, um, it's it's like, not so easy.
1: You know, it's it's like I think I built like a really good business that is still like after four years, I feel like, we're in, like I feel is on the verge of like exploding now because but it does it seems like you know when they say like there's no overnight success and I think everyone who I you see it every time people go like you're such an overnight success be it a company being an artist being a writer being an actor you know and I think that person is like this was like literally not overnight this is this was brutal but then you arrive and it seems easy when you're there and I think When we started, there were certain things that I also didn't fully know the city. You know, you can come here as four times a year on like business trips or see the more glamorous side, but it's suddenly you are renting a space for your office, but it's a brand new business. They're like, you have no credit history. (laughs) You have no, you know, things like this, you know, like your deposits are huge because you, you know, they, you've never been in business here before. Um, And you're dealing with New York landlords, which are like notoriously the worst. Um, So I think that whole thing of finding a space, finding an office, then not, never done construction before. So I didn't realize all the permits, like each country is different, right? Living in Kuwait, you will hire a guy who knows these things, right? And it's his job to get it. Here, it's a bit like they were like, yeah, it's going to take us three months after you started construction to get like um, electric electrical permit, sorry. So that really delayed us. Uh, I am surprised how much I know about uh, construction and commercial real estate after doing this. Mm. Um, did so you that, already that, have people you wanted to work with when you got there did you already know who you were going to hire and set up I mean oh no okay so what I did was that I took um one person who had I'd worked with her briefly before uh she worked for my company which was based in London and she had left her job around the same time as me and we had reconnected um she was Italian but half American. And I really liked her, and she ended up being my first employee with the company, like my first like right hand person, uh, and she was with me for three years until the pandemic actually. Um, so she was like kind of the first person I found and trusted and was part of the very emotional journey with all the tears and you know was there for absolutely everything. Um, and I think from there on, we started hiring so many wrong hires. <laughs> I I realized it's not my strong suit Uh, so many wrong hires but also I learned something from all of them along the way you know and they say they always say hire slow fire fast I did that the opposite way (laughs) but I was also very attached to every person I hired in the beginning because like you said I didn't know anyone here so it was like became like my little Nova Octo family I'd given up like my whole life to launch this business and I felt that everyone who came on board I treated them the same uh which is always a little bit hard as the company scales and grows you know um but I think it's also very realistic to be like the people that are with you in the beginning are not necessarily the right people to be with you as you scale you know which is actually one of the most painful parts of like growing a business that you're so attached to but no I started asking a lot of like hey do you know anyone I'm looking for a stylist I'm looking for this and Then we just found all the dry cleaners around and we did our research and it was just trial and error a little bit. Mm. Some of them expensive, some of them, you know, things that I now was like, oh, my God, like, where did I even start? But, you know, we're here now. One thing at a time. (laughs) So you manage all of this, you got the business up and running,
0: you're dressing people that don't get free dresses, but they still need to attend fancy events. They need these um, beautiful evening outfits, gowns, and then COVID hits and no in-person events are happening.
1: Yes. And for, I have to say that is still like the most brutal thing that ever happened to a business like mine, who was purely events driven. Um, not only did people like have to get together and meet, but they're like being invited. (laughs) It's like, you know, there's like a pre-planned event and we had more cancellations certain months than we had, um, orders. So, I mean, for six months, we were basically like non-operating. We had to let go of all the staff a few weeks into the, um, uh, into the pandemic. I also got COVID at that time and I was extremely sick. So I remember sitting like in my bathtub and telling my mom, I was like, I think this is the worst day of my life. You know, I was like, I was feeling so sick and we were scared at the time because it had just hit New York. You know, they were telling us, don't go to the hospitals and, you know, New York got extremely hard hit. and to let go of your staff at that point. I knew I had partners when I launched, they wanted out immediately. They basically just wanted to file for bankruptcy. And I'm like, this is like my life. You know, I've left, like, I, there is, there is no backup here. You know what I mean? Like, and I doubled down and I ended up buying them out, uh, during the pandemic. Um, and I just doubled down and doubled down, had like skeleton staff, um, during that time. Uh, and we would sometimes just show up and I was like, we would just like open every day, be in the showroom, you know, but I was like, I'm, if I close down, I'm done. Um, But operating was also creditors, you know, you know, we couldn't pay our rent, we couldn't do this. And everyone was equally desperate, because my landlord was probably as desperate as, you know, everyone was suffering at the time, it was like on every single level. So that was a very anxious time. But for every time I doubled down once, or I found the money to keep it going a bit longer, and I was going to do this, then like things got worse. But now I'm like, I'm already so invested, so I can't give up now. So it was 18 months of that. (laughs) And I am glad I didn't know how long this pandemic was going to last because I wouldn't have had it in me. Mm. Um, And I think that's the benefit of like, even when you ask, like, how did you move to New York and open a business? It's like, because I didn't, I didn't fully know what it would entail, to be honest. But then when you're in it, you just find solutions. You don't give up. You're just like, okay, let's just ABC here.
0: So is one of your tips for success is um, ignorance, a little bit of ignorance is healthy or will will serve you well?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think you're always like, I think no matter what you, nothing is going to go according to plan. No matter how much you plan, how much you have an idea, how much you think you know your customer, you don't know. You don't there's always going to be variables that, you know, when people talk about their business plan and business plan, everyone wants to see it. I was like, Oh my God. Like if someone talks to me one more time about a business plan, like, yeah, you need to have an idea, but nothing's going to happen according to the business plan. It's like, it's like an idea that we have, that we kind of hope, but you are probably immediately going to have to adjust to it. Uh, And then you, I think you have to pivot. You have to be like, willing to change your opinion you have to find solutions you have to be like not get so stuck on that one idea you had as long as you have like that goal at the end of the tunnel like what is it that I want this company to do what do I want to achieve with it and then you're going to have to make changes so I think ignorance and I think also being aware that you're ignorant to being like I'm going to do this to the best of my ability I'm going to do all the things I think I can control There's gonna be so many external factors, such as human beings working in your company, that you're not gonna be able to control. And then you find solutions. (laughs) (laughs) It's not always the nice. Sometimes I wonder, like, why did I pick this, especially because I had a company that was so hard hit during COVID. But then I also think there are parts that I look back now that I think like so many blessings that. Maybe without COVID, I'm not sure my company would have made it. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure I would have. I don't know. I think I changed a lot during COVID. I think I learned my resilience. I got like my confidence. Like I would constantly ask people for their opinion at any given time on everything. I was one, I was that boss who would have meetings and it was like a democracy. Like I would make the decisions, but I always wanted everyone, no matter their position, to be part of the decision-making um and i don't think the people i had on board was necessarily like equipped to be part of of that uh i think i trust my ability to make decisions i i trust my ability that it's okay that people don't like you that people get upset that you're going to make decisions that people don't like um so that and I think during COVID.
0: So was it because you had to let go of so many people and you just had to make decisions by yourself? You had, to, yeah,
1: you, had that- to like, you had to fire people. There was like there was no business to pay them, so you had to let people go. You had to deal with creditors, like like your your, you know, you, we had brands that delivered while we were closed during COVID, and left our clothes on on the doorstep, so they had delivered, because wow. they had already produced it. So they just tried to get their their retailers to take it. And then, so it's technically accepted. And now you have like all these clothes that had been pre-ordered. Like most retailers wouldn't accept deliveries. And I think managing people who are, everyone was desperate to get their invoices paid and you're like, we can't. And I think that was almost also very freeing. I think, especially as a woman, these conversations are very, very hard to have because we want to do everything right. We want people to like us. We want to be like, oh, but I do everything on time. I pay my invoices time. I do this, but there was no way to do it. Like we, we would be like, we are closed. You know, the whole world is closed. Like, what are you talking about? And that is something that gave me a lot of anxiety for the first months. And in the end, I was like, this is a business. This is not personal. This is like we are making business decisions. So, what is best for the business and the people that are associated with it?
0: Was there a moment where you got to that bit? Wait, this is business. I need to be a business owner now and not just be nice. Was there a specific moment where you remember sort of clicking into that?
1: You know, it happened, um, um, without giving too many details, when I was sick with COVID and we had to let people go, the employees that we paid out more than we had to pay out, they they tried to steal on their way out, you know? And I remember when that happened, I was like, absolutely not. Like, you know, I was like, I found like my power in the way that I'm like, I'm not going to take this anymore you know we got lawyers we got everything sorted like you know but that's when I was like realizing that you know you have to be a boss you're not even doing people a favor being so nice um I think with employees it's also very good to have certain boundaries but you know you also to not take it personally yeah I took it extremely personally and then I was like it's not they're just like they didn't know better you know they tried to take client lists and stuff like that when they were stealing like you know intellectual property um but you know a lot of people do that and they don't know the consequences of it so
0: there was an important sentence that you just said for many of us women you don't even I do said you don't even help anyone by being so nice
1: no you don't and I think to have clear you know I was always I would hire people a lot of who I felt believed in me and my idea and was like there for this company which then also ended up being people that I liked a lot. Mm. Um, But they weren't necessarily the best people to challenge me or to come up with new ideas. I still felt like the ideas was constantly mine. Um, Instead of, now I realize that I do need someone who has like a completely different set of eyes on something that I see in a specific way Mm -hmm. Um, and not just hire a bunch of people that are always also maybe... will agree with you yeah
0: so it was a there was a need for validation in the beginning that got fed through some of your employees that actually didn't yes
1: big time yeah oh, i man. just
0: wonder also if you can talk for a moment about how um you set up i mean a, a definitely much more european uh quality of benefit package for all your employees while well, you didn't do that for yourself you wanted to be the nice boss you can you tell talk a little bit about what you learned doing that and how you set it up and how people didn't respect it
1: yeah I think like what I and I do think like what we're doing is right I think you know in America we have a very different different rights for workers right so they don't have you by law you don't have to give paid time off like their paid time off is public holidays. They're 10 days a year. So their paid time off can be those 10 public holidays, which includes like Christmas, Christmas day, January 1st, Thanksgiving, you know, these are the days that they get. And so I I think maybe it's 10 days. So of course, I guess the company, we started out with 10 days and we went to 14 days. I think by the time we ended, I was on 21 days plus uh, public holiday because I do believe that people need time off.
0: So 21 days paid holiday plus public holidays.
1: Much yes. more
0: like, I mean, that's equivalent, I think, to the UK law at the moment. Sometimes. Yeah,
1: it is. It's very European and yeah. how it is. um And we did that uh, because I do think, first of all, it's a tough environment to work in. A lot of them are stylists that deal with clients, they work weekends. And I think, you know, uh, I, th- I think it's right. That's the other thing. I think people get exhausted. I was exhausted. But I didn't take any time off. So that's the thing. Even on weekends, I would come in. Or um, even with sick leave. You're Like by law, you only have to give three days a year here. Um, We started giving seven. But then, (laughs) you know, sometimes my lawyer would be like, why don't you rather give it when they need it and don't give it in the contract? Because I realized like so many people weren't used to getting this. So they were taking advantage of it. Um, But I think. Uh, we we paid health insurance from the very beginning of the company, which like most startups do not do at all. Uh, could the company afford it? Probably not. But for me, that was if I do this for you, you're going to be so much more loyal and appreciative of what I do for you. But it doesn't work that way. And at the end of the day, it is the government's role to provide a lot of these things. So much falls on the employers. You know, there's no maternity leave here, none, zero. Um, So I think like, I want it to be that company that supports this because I want women. I want people who are getting, like starting their families. Like you still want these people part of your company but it's also a tough burden to carry as a startup. Uh, and to expect businesses to carry it as opposed to the government assisting with these things. Do
0: you still have the same kind of benefits now? for the? the new, I know you had to lay off people and it gave you a chance to hire we people.
1: We still have the sick leave. We have, um, we have the same holiday. Yeah, 21 days plus major public holidays. Um, we have a, a health insurance contribution so we have it like capped and then they can choose if they want the higher or lower package so you still have a lot of this and and is it just you're better at hiring now
0: you have a different way of choosing the right people that so that is a different energy
1: I'm, I'm not sure I went through like I think so with the people I have now we're a smaller team because we are also in part of relaunching part of our business and reopening a new showroom so we don't have so many of the stylists uh, that are in store at the moment. So we kind of like are in like a little bit of a of a of a break while we're relaunching. And that's what I say when I said that. I'm not sure we would have made it without Covid because I think I changed my mind a lot about what I wanted the company to be or what I think it needs to be to be profitable faster, or, or there's different ways of doing it. There's different maybe people needed or um, so for us, the hardest part was actually when Omicron hits, like last January. And we had to close down again because, again, the entire of New York were sick. And uh, we were in a temporary showroom. My landlord had not survived COVID. So we had to leave our original office space. He couldn't renew his mortgage. So there was a lot of knock-on effects for COVID that was still happening. And um, I think at that point, we did a little bit of a clean out. The environment had gotten quite toxic in the office, and I couldn't fix it you know, when there is like, there isn't, it's gone too far. I'd hired too many senior people who was like, not that qualified at their job, maybe not seeing the vision I had. And that's when I was like tough enough to be like, no, this is not going to work out. Um, But I do think I have learned a lot about the type of people that you need in a startup. Mm. And that, that whole idea of like trying to become so corporate and big and Work in a specific way too fast. Um, it doesn't really work. You know there are so many uncertainties with a with a startup, and you need people to thrive in that environment.
0: What have you learned about <clears throat> being a a powerful woman a successful woman a woman who needs to rely on herself to find her inner strengths to get through all kinds of unknown adventures and struggles what have you learned that you kind of maybe wish you knew but also you you could share with the rest of us
1: I think a few things is that it's extremely lonely to launch a business even if you have people around you the whole time, like the, at the end of the day, the responsibility falls on you. People will walk out when it no longer serves them. Um, You are choosing to like get the benefits of it, but also like take all the struggles. Um, And I wish that I had lit, been a little bit faster of understanding my mental health and how it would be impacted. Uh, I wish I believed that like, I didn't, you know, you hear about a burnout, but I didn't really know what it was, but I, think I was probably burnt out going into COVID. And then when COVID happened, I just couldn't. I had started going to therapy for the first time in my life, maybe in the months leading up to COVID. And I remember I would go there and I would just cry. And I'd be like, and I told him, it's like, I don't even know why I'm sad. And, you know, he was the one who like explained to me, it's like, you are facing burnout to the extent that your brain cannot even create enough dopamine for you to handle regular situations. But I could make it to work. I was there but I think I lost my creativity but I still worked 14 hour days seven days a week and I wish I had been better at realizing that you first of all I think therapy is like one of the best things you can do if you can find the right therapists find a coach if you have one surround yourself with people have gone through the same other founders other entrepreneurs like showing up to these like events where they're like oh there's a female founders I'm like oh what kind of event is this but it's extremely important how people understand and people are willing to be honest about like that it can be tough um and to like read books and listen to podcasts and for people who have gone through it but they have like come out on the other end but no one has like an amazing story when they're being honest, everyone was like, that was brutal, but I wouldn't be without it. Especially if you're coming from like a C-suite job that you had a regular income that, <laughs> you know, to go from that to not having salary, like I didn't pay myself. I didn't do anything. I just like, I really like, wouldn't, I, I remember going through such, I didn't even want to pay for a therapist because I was like, oh no, it's like my business. And it's wild because the moment I took a break the moment i had to force to focus on my mental health like i was like i would wake up gasping for air every day and wake up at five in the morning and go to my computer um it was so like it, it had the opposite effect i could i could have worked four hours and done a better job wow. i told someone i told my friend like the yesterday who like works like me and i said like i want my new superpower to be to work less you know, it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that it is not all consuming, but just sitting at your computer for like 12 hours, it actually has the opposite effect. Yeah. Absolutely. So what helps you now? What What
0: supports you now to look after your mental health and run the business and do it in a way that feels
1: better and more healthy? I think I'm very aware of my stress and my anxiety around certain things. I think I have also gone through so many things now but you're like, but we're fine. Like, you know, you thought it was the end of the world when COVID happened. You thought it was the end of the world when you couldn't, like, get permissions for a sprinkler in your showroom when you wanted to launch. You thought it was the end of the world when you had to stay a month extra in Norway for your visa and, like, cry. and like, What am I going to do? But then you're like, but you're fine. You know, it's like, I've, I, I think I've learned to trust my ability to find a solution. And if it doesn't happen exactly how I wanted it to be, there's, I'm going to find another solution to remove some of the despair. I think um, personally I think going to therapy is amazing. I think it's important to, you know, it sounds crazy to get your rest, to sleep, (laughs) to journal. Mm -hmm. All of these things that like sounds like like a cliché is like I think is one of the most important things that you can to do, to really look after your body in the sense that if you want to do this, it's like running a marathon for three years straight. And I think looking after your physical and mental health is extremely important to be able to do it because that's what it is. You're literally like running a marathon. Uh, and if you run on empty, it's going to be extremely hard to finish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have one or two more things I want, to, I want to check in with you around being a female in the industry. But before we do that, just if people want to connect with you if they want to find out more about Nova Octo, where where's the best place to connect with you or Nova Octo?
1: Nova Octo, it is uh, definitely, you can send me an email. My my public email is novocto.com. So that's very easy. Um, and of course, uh, Instagram, at me. So yeah, definitely. Right. We'll put all the links. Um, and
0: we'll put the link also for, um, for the company website. Um, I, I was thinking it might be a really nice way to end. I know you you talked when we spoke earlier about how you feel that as a female there is different rules that the men are allowed to fail, but as a female business owner you're not supposed to say
1: that something is is emotionally hard. Yeah, it's, it's I actually I I actually feel I think we do it to ourselves a bit, and we do it to each other you know, it's like, be it from like beauty standards or like what we're supposed to achieve or to feel, or, you know, we also like express emotions in a different way. And sometimes I feel like people make us feel like we should be grateful just to be here. And I think with you, I'm sharing like a lot of the hardship that I had because I'm surrounded by founders that pretend everything is so perfect and it's so fun. And their Instagram is just like, you know, I won't necessarily sit here and talk about like negotiations with my landlord on my Instagram, but, (laughs) but I think it is important to share that. It's like, it is hard to, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So you have to be up for it, but you have to thrive doing it. And I think with women, I think what we do is that when something goes wrong, we almost feel like it's a failure immediately. While men are allowed to fail and restart. Men just file bankruptcy and start another business. We don't, we we can't do that. (laughs) They do it over and over and over again. And they still get, what, 98% of the funding whilst they do that. Women, we don't get that. So we also know that we don't have the same second chances that men have. Um, And I do think as like women, I think we have to get better at Talking about emotionally, we react to things differently than men. Um, I think how we judge each other is sometimes on more superficial levels. And I think it's incredibly important to surround yourself with women who are, you know, in the same positions as you. That they are like, that they don't see this as, oh my God, this is so difficult or this is so big. It's more like, hey, how do we find solutions? But, I also think it's important to surround yourself with men who support women in the role we are. i'm telling you, I do not think it's any point to surround yourself with men who do not because <laughs> it is it really removes your confidence and more of the men are there. You can meet with venture capitalist firms and they you can just immediately know they they don 't get it uh but I think a male way of doing things is also interesting yeah um but I do think as as, as a woman, I think we have to normalize being like. This was super hard, Uh, but I also love my company. I think I have like a great company. It excites me every single day when I see people tag us and they tell me, oh my God, I love this company. It's like, it makes me so excited and so proud. Uh, And I wouldn't have been without it. And I think I've grown so much as a person doing this.
0: That is definitely one of the things about entrepreneurship. It's, I mean, parenting and entrepreneurship, some of the biggest personal journeys you can go on to to grow better than any course <laughs> definitely yes. and I love your honesty I think this is so important um and as you say you know, many of us girls grow up that we need to be good and we need to look perfect and we need to be a certain way. And this piece of actually let's normalize the the failing and getting up again. And that doesn't mean that something went wrong. Well, it, it's, it's just part of it. Like
1: you said, like- Well, you learn, like, you know, if, if everything went right, you didn't dream big enough because then you're just like staying within your safety zone, right? You should always do something a little bit before you're ready. And I think like as girls- we wait for perfection. You know, You, you know, women, we don't apply for a job until we're like 120% qualified. Men apply when they're 60% qualified, maybe less. I don't know. But with women, it's insane. We have to be overqualified to ask. And then when we do, we don't even ask for the salaries that men ask for when they're 40% qualified. And I think we've been, especially our generation, I hope it's changing a little bit, maybe with Gen Z, that you can see they are asserting themselves in a different way and to be like if she can do it I can do it if he can do it I can do it it doesn't mean that you shouldn't prepare (laughs) it doesn't mean that you shouldn't make as much of a plan as you can um and be as you know be as prepared as you can but you also have to like believe in yourself being like even if that doesn't happen I trust myself to find a different solution I heard and I think that's the difference with women and men like We need to just go out there and do it.
0: Yeah, what a good place to end. We need to just go out there and do it. And also I've heard you say in different ways throughout this, is like, you know, I just figured it out and I just figured it out and I figured it out as I went. I made a plan. I thought I knew what I was doing and then I didn't know what I didn't know. And I mean, no one knew COVID and Omicron and then you figured it out.
1: You figure it out. And like one day I can have like an extremely low moment in one day. That I'm so frustrated and then I can find myself being extremely excited and laughing and joking like 45 minutes later you know everything that is difficult is not permanent if you're willing to open your mind and look for solutions and you know if you launch the wrong business and then that might be the right that might be the right thing to close it down and figure out something else you don't have to suffer through it it's like most businesses, the first businesses fail. So I almost feel like pro second COVID. No, second of octo after COVID is like the second of octo because I think it gave me the room to really change so many things in the company. But I do think it's also like if that business doesn't work, you, you figure out something else, yeah, which true. men do all the time.
0: <laughs> wow. There's a lot we can learn from the men that they can learn from us and love, love this. This is a great place to end. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And I would love it if you would rate and review the show as it really does help other women to find it more easily. Remember, No matter what's going on around you, it only takes a single breath to start grounding back into your power. So let's take a breath. Feel your power. And go spread the magic.